Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And by Vortex Optics with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And by Broom, where bird feeding meets innovation. Discover truly squirrel proof bird feeders, all backed by lifetime care commitment. Learn more at brome.com. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to our show, number 971. Anybody remember Jewel Aikens? Let me tell you about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. And That's Jewel Aikens. They hit record back in the uh, 60s. Well, back on the 17th of September, our guest here on Talking Birds was the director of the American Bird Conservancy's Birds and Pesticides Campaign, Hardy Kern. He enlightened us about the severe harm being done to birds and bees by the use of a class of pesticides known as neonicotinoids, or neonics. That was our show number 952, by the way, which is easily found on our TalkingBirds.com website under the Listen tab. Well, some good news related to those neonics. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has signed into law the Birds and Bees Protection Act, a first-in-the-nation law to control the use of neonics, which are the most used insecticides in the U.S. and may be the most ecologically destructive pesticides since DDT, having been linked to mass losses of bees and other pollinators, in the birds that feed on them and on the treated plants. The use of neonics has vastly increased U.S. agriculture products' harmful effects on insects. The EPA has declared that neonics likely jeopardize the continued existence of more than 200 threatened and endangered species. So, good news, at least in one corner of the country... In a conservation salute to the legislature and the governor of the great state of New York. And a note to our listeners in New Jersey, equal time for the Garden State is coming soon. A very quick note, we'll talk more about this soon. The great backyard bird count begins on February 16th. Just a quick reminder about that. And do we have an audio postcard on today's show? Well, yes, we do, thanks to Art Algauer reporting to us on some very cool birds down at the Alafia Nature Preserve in southwest Florida. Let's listen to his description. Oh, there he goes. This is Arthur at the Alafia Nature Preserve in Lithia, Florida. Red-shouldered hawks are everywhere today. Eastern Phoebes... Red-bellied woodpeckers. I'm seeing so many birds. What a fabulous place. (laughs) Thank you, Art. Uh, Down there at the Alafia Nature Preserve, just near uh, Tampa, Florida. Uh, Meanwhile, it's our mystery bird. This is uh, something we do on our show every week, in case you're new to the show. A mystery bird contest. We play the sound of the bird, as we just did there, give some clues about it. And uh, the, sh- the actual contest will be a little later in the show, but we wanted to give you a kind of a warm-up for it here. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized brown-striped songbird 
with a pale eyebrow, a thin bill, and white outer feathers on its tail, which it constantly bobs up and down. Our bird breeds in Alaska and parts of Canada, down into the mountains of California and New Mexico in the west, to northern New Hampshire and Maine in the east. It winters mostly in the southern half of the U.S., found in recently plowed fields, marshes, coastal beaches, mudflats, feeding on insects and crustaceans and aquatic worms. That's our mystery bird, and we'll do the contest in a bit and your chance to win some really special prizes, we think. From Brome Bird Care, a mega 600-feeder with an extra-large tube that holds nearly two and a half pounds of seed. It's easy to clean. It's chew-proof, and it includes the Brome Seed Ventilation System to keep the seed cool and dry and comes with the Brome Lifetime Care Warranty. From our new friends at Fresh Cut Paper, makers of beautiful life-size pop-up floral bouquets that are wilt-proof and crafted to last a lifetime, we have a certificate for five of those beautiful bouquets that include bird-themed bouquets as well among the selections. And their bouquets have a small fraction of the carbon footprint of imported flowers. Fresh Cut also plants a tree for every bouquet sold, and they partner with 1% for the Planet, an international organization whose members contribute at least 1% of their annual revenue to environmental causes. That's our mystery bird conservation or mystery bird contest preview and the actual thing coming along just a little bit later on. Our Talking Birds ambassadors are kind of the heart and soul of our radio program here. They're listeners who have become what we call ambassadors, and they help us spread the word about birds and conservation by handing out these little cards that we send to them, helping us spread the word as far as we can. And thank you to Daniel Hodges from Lampasas, Texas. And Daniel says, I'm catching up on your back podcasts. And I like this. He says, thanks for a comfortable show. I think I like that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Daniel. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll consider joining Daniel and uh, 850-plus other folks in our Talking Birds ambassadors family. Pretty easy to sign up. Just go to TalkingBirds.com and click on the Get Involved tab up at the top of the uh, page there. Still to come today, we'll talk with the author of an enjoyable and enlightening book called Field Notes from an Unintentional Birder. Julia Zarenkin will join us from Toronto. Also today, Mike O'Connor will be with us for a live Let's Ask Mike segment from Cape Cod about suet alternatives. He'll explain about that. And up next, a very small bird from the deserts of the Southwest is today's featured feathered friend. It's pretty well known that the smallest bird in North America is the calliope hummingbird. But what's the smallest warbler? The answer... Ah, it's Lucy's warbler. Sometimes known as the desert or mesquite warbler. Those seem like appropriate names given that the bird is found almost exclusively in the Sonoran Desert that encompasses the northwestern Mexican states of Sonora, Baja, California, and Baja, California Sur, 
as well as part of the southwestern U.S., in Arizona, and California. This tiny warbler has pale gray upper parts, grayish-white underparts, and a sometimes hidden rust-brown rump patch. Males also have a brown patch on the crown. The Lucy's warbler forages in the foliage of trees and shrubbery for prey like caterpillars, leafhoppers, and beetles, and spiders, and it's one of only two warbler species that nests in tree cavities. The other one is the prothonotary warbler. And who was Lucy? She was Lucy Hunter Baird, the daughter of ornithologist Spencer Fullerton Baird, the second secretary of the Smithsonian Institution. He established a record of the bird along the lower Colorado River near Fort Mojave, Arizona, in 1861. Speaking of the appropriateness of names, the battle rages on about whether birds named after people should be renamed, maybe to something descriptive instead. The American Ornithological Society, the widely accepted authority in this realm, has agreed that the birds should be renamed for something other than people. But some folks are pushing back on the idea. We'll be talking more about this debate on upcoming shows. Meanwhile, our bird's Lucy-infused scientific name, Oreothlips lucii, is not likely to change. And for now, at least, our featured feathered friend continues to be known as Lucy's Warbler. Welcome again to our show, number 971. Julia Zarenkin is the author of a marvelous and best-selling book called Field Notes from an Unintentional Birder. And she joins us now from Toronto to tell us a bit about it. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me, Ray. You are more more than welcome. We love your book and uh, glad to have you on the show. You were born in what was then the Soviet Union? In a Jewish family struggling to get exit visas to leave, I think you were three, or maybe it was at three and a half when that happened, you landed in Canada, where you are now. Later, you got a PhD, earned a PhD in comparative literature, indulged your love of classical music, and you discovered birds. You talk in your book about Phoebe Snetzinger, the legendary birder who was the first person I think, to ID more than 8,000 species of birds from all over the world. Her spark bird that led her on her birding journey was the spectacular Blackburnian warbler. I know that your spark bird was a bit more of a modest one. So tell us about your discovery, Julia, starting with that bird and maybe how it connects with the title of your book, Field Notes from an Unintentional Birder. So, yeah, my spark bird was considerably less exciting than Phoebe <laughs> Snetzinger's. It was the red-winged blackbird. Mm -hmm. And the reason the red-winged blackbird was so absolutely astonishing to me is because I grew up completely indoors. <laughs> Until about the age of 35, I had never really looked at nature. See, I, my parents are... Um, classical pianists, they're concert pianists. And so I grew up going to concert halls and museums and libraries, and we just didn't do the outdoors. In fact, 
when we were immigrants to Canada, my, my mother always said, we didn't immigrate from the Soviet Union to vacation in a tent. And she said, the outdoors are for other people. So that's kind of how I grew up. And I was going through a little bit of a midlife crisis uh, around the age of 35. And I happened upon this essay by Jonathan Franzen called My Bird Problem. And it was literally about how Jonathan Franzen became less cynical about the world in general hmm. when he fell in love with birds. And as I finished that essay, I thought, oh my God, maybe that's the answer to all my questions. Maybe yeah. I need a bird problem of my own. <laughs> so I started Googling, uh, you know, Beginner Bird Club Toronto, and I found this wonderful group and I went out with them. And uh, it was a horrible day because we kept looking at ducks and everything looked identical to me. And then suddenly I saw this bird uh, that I could actually see through my binoculars and it was a red winged blackbird. And I turned to the group and I said, oh, my God, is this a rare migrant from Peru? <laughs> and, you know, they, they were very gracious and they, they smiled. I think they felt some pity for me in that moment. And, you know, that was really the moment where my world sort of cracked open mm. And I kind of wondered, wow, if this had been here all along, if it really was as common a bird as everybody claimed, then what else have I been missing? Yeah. And this was this was a really pivotal moment for me. It kind of divided my life into it was one of those like before and after dividing moments in my life. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it was the beginning of my journey. Um, yeah. Wow. So that's, that's how I came to the Red Winged Blackbird. Wow. One of the many great things, by the way, about your book is that you're not afraid to disclose some misidentifications of birds. Everybody misidentifies birds, but I think not everybody admits it. And uh, I get the sense sometimes when we're determined to see a particular bird, we can, we can make almost anything become that bird. If we really want to, you describe in your book how that happened to you when you were trying to find a hummingbird in a tree, but the bird you were looking at was considerably larger than a hummingbird. Are you willing to repeat that story that was in your book? Absolutely. So people often feel shame around misidentification. And I guess part of my goal is to normalize misidentification. So I was out birding during the peak of spring migration at one of the most popular parks in southern Ontario, Long Point. So there were about 50 people, you know, huddled around this one tree. And suddenly I screamed, hummingbird, hummingbird, that that is the largest hummingbird I've ever seen in my life. And by this point, there were like 70 people around me. And my bird guide, my mentor, he gently tapped me on the shoulder and he said, um, Julia, I think I'm seeing a green heron. And... <laughs> It was a moment of severe you know, mortification, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I don't know how I mistook a hummingbird, a green heron for a hummingbird, but it, it happens. It, it happened. Well, you, you know, you mentioned David Sibley, the great David Sibley, a few times in your book, and I happen to know that he once thought he'd ID a vermilion flycatcher, which actually turned out to be a piece of red cloth wrapped around a telephone wire. <laughs> We'll see. I'm in good so, company. <laughs> you, you are indeed. Well, in, in addition to your your folks, you had someone else in your life who had some skepticism about your interest in birds, your husband, Leon, but you kind of turned him around, did you not, from an SOB, that's a spouse of a birder, <laughs> as we learned in your book, to someone with at least some interest in birds, right? 
I did manage to turn him around. Actually, what managed to turn him around is not in my book, and that is COVID, um, which kind of, you know, introduced him to the outdoors. But yeah, I mean, Leon's always been super supportive of of me and my um, bizarre interests and and where where that takes him. One of the things that people love about birding, among many others, is that it can be done almost anywhere, including in the city. I live in Boston, so I can relate to your experience in your city of Toronto. But you talk in the book about how birds gave you a greater affection for the city. I wonder if you'd read that short passage about that in your book there on page 234. Absolutely. I had started out as a complete novice. I'd never noticed a bird beyond a pigeon. And now suddenly I had a birding philosophy. I found myself wanting to bird in a particular way, and I was tired of always wanting to move somewhere else. The reality is that I won't be leaving Toronto anytime soon, and the traffic won't be easing up anytime soon either. (laughs) But discovering that I can watch American woodcocks perform their aerial spectacle in a park downtown, and that I can observe a wood thrush with its majestically polka-dotted breast as it intones its mellifluous song within 10 kilometers of my house has made me look at the city through new eyes. The most unexpected fringe benefit of birding has been falling in love with my own city. Beautiful. Julia Zarankin is the author of the wonderful book, Field Notes from an Unintentional Birder. It's available everywhere. And Julia will be available to be heard as the keynote speaker at the San Diego Bird Festival beginning February 21st. She'll be talking about how birding makes makes us better people. Julia, congratulations on the book and thanks for telling us about it. Oh, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to talk to you. You can keep up with Julia, by the way, on her website, juliazarankin.com, and follow her on Instagram at juliazarankin. That's Z-A-R-A-N-K-I-N. Up next here on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. There's our mystery birds. They're kind of an unusual-sounding bird, I think. It's a medium-sized, brown-striped songbird with a pale eyebrow, a thin bill, and white outer tail feathers on its tail, which it constantly bobs up and down. 
Our bird breeds in Alaska, parts of Canada, down into the mountains of California and New Mexico in the west, to northern New Hampshire and Maine in the east. It winters mostly in the southern half of the U.S., occupying recently plowed fields, marshes, coastal beaches, and mudflats, feeding on insects and crustaceans and aquatic worms. What is that mystery bird? Please tell us uh, at 781-837-4900 or take a guess. A definitive answer makes you the winner, and a not-quite-correct answer could also make you the winner because we'll have a drawing to determine the winner from the calls we received. So take a guess at that bird and perhaps win the contest whether it's a correct guess or not. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. I'll give that number again in a moment after a recap on the prizes from Brome Bird Care. A mega 600 feeder. This is just quite a spectacular feeder with an extra large tube. Holds nearly two and a half pounds of seed. It's easy to clean. It's chew proof and it includes the Brome seed ventilation system to keep the seed cool and dry. And it comes with the Brome lifetime care warranty. And Brome is really famous for its excellent customer service. From our new friends at Fresh Cut Paper, makers of beautiful life-size pop-up floral bouquets that are wilt-proof and crafted to last a lifetime, we have a certificate for five bouquets. And yes, they have bird-themed bouquets among their selections. Their bouquets also present a small fraction of the carbon footprint of imported flowers. Fresh Cut also plants a tree for every bouquet sold and partner with 1% for the planet to contribute part of their annual revenue to environmental causes. If we get to our bonus question, we'll also try to give away a feather-friendly bird window collision kit, all that part of the mystery bird contest, which is uh, coming along here very shortly. Meanwhile, I think I said I'd give the number again, and here it is. It's 781-837-4900. Up next, it's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. Welcome to a world where bird feeding is enjoyable for both you and your feathered friends. Introducing Squirrel Buster Bird Feeders by Brome. Our innovative feeders are designed to keep squirrels at bay, ensuring that your garden birds get their fair share. And the best part? We offer lifetime care for every feeder, making your purchase worry-free. Transform your garden into a bird paradise and keep it that way forever. Sorry, squirrels. It's just for the birds this time. Visit brome.com, B-R-O-M-E dot com to discover our full range of squirrel buster feeders and join the Brome family today. Brome, where birds come first and our commitment to you lasts a lifetime. Mike O'Connor is there at the famous Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, where this morning the topic is suet alternatives. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Ray. I'm kind of comfortable today after listening <laughs> to the show. That's what our show is comfortable, according to our uh, our new one of our newest uh, ambassadors, Daniel Hodges, down there in Lampasas, uh, Texas. Yeah. Speaking uh, of ambassadors, I had some of your friends from Jamestown, Rhode Island, Candy and Chris, and some of their friends stopped by the store yesterday, and uh, they're all excited, raving about your show. Uh, and 
uh, you know, I got I got out of town or was visiting, yeah. and, you know. Were, and in winter, I let them in, so that's fine. You know, <laughs> were they comfortable I, is the really <laughs> question. <laughs> that's the key. That's Candy the key and Chris right Powell there, there from, from Jamestown. Wonderful birders and advocates for birds and conservation as well. So um, alternatives for suet. I have a feeling we're talking about something vegetarian here. Have I got that Yeah, right? there's a lot of yeah. birders who are vegetarians or just don't want to support the you know, the cattle industry and sewage certainly does that. So the alternative is fairly inexpensive, and uh, you don't even need to buy a special feeder. I'm talking about peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Now, suet and peanut butter both attract, supply protein for, for birds in the winter, especially when they can't get insects. And we're talking about, like, woodpeckers or wintering warblers and nuthatches. Um, some some wrens will be looking for this alternative. And so you can use peanut butter if you don't want to use suet, and you don't have to buy a fancy feeder. You can just take a log, a short log, like a foot long, or maybe a two-by-four, drill a couple of small holes in it, put an eye hook at the top, and just hang it off your tree branch, and then smear peanut butter in those holes, and you'll get a variety of birds coming picking it out. Or if you don't want it, you don't have a drill. You can use bottle caps. Take some bottle caps mm. and tack those on the log, and that way you can put the peanut butter in there, and then those are easily removed for cleaning. So that's a good alternative. Kind of a homemade project on a rainy day, like we have going on today. Yeah. So that 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 would be a good good alternative. The other some people make yeah. vegetarian suet with uh, vegetable shortening, which is mm. which is a, which is a good idea. Um, except you just got to be careful. A lot of vegetable shortening comes with that the dreaded palm oil that you know we all worry about that apparently i see a lot of recipes and you can look these up for using coconut oil as an alternative mm. i guess they have their own series of environmental problems too but mm. that's a little i guess less evil and you can make mm. your own and what traditional kind of suit with some seeds and put it in a in a mold for that there's a there's a company i want to give a shout out yeah. to um it's called uh, it's called Suet Plus, made by a company called Wildlife Scientist Science. It's, they make suet like all the other suet that we buy. There's nothing not vegetarian about it, except regular suet that I buy from a million different companies. They take these little suet, put it in a plastic container. It's like mm-hmm. a six-by-six six plastic container, and they pour it in there, and then they shrink-wrap it, yeah. and then we put it in our feeders. Well, this company decided we've got enough plastic in the world, so they, they don't use a plastic container. They just make these little blocks of suet mm-hmm. and then put a little uh, cellophane around them, and you can put those out. So I would look for that. That's kind of a, uh, a least plasticky alternative, because plastic, especially suet plastic, is really hard to recycle if they recycle it at all. So this is a good way of getting around that if you can and and speaking of exciting birds coming to a feeder i just had a winter wren on my feeter two oh, seconds nice. before and so had, there you go that's and you had a baltimore oriole earlier i think so. well, i'm telling you maybe I'll, I'll quit work and just stay home and look out the window all day long <laughs> wow what about avocado toast for no that's <laughs> never mind that's, that's a vegetarian but anyway. we'll get yeah yeah I'm gonna, all right i'll start working on that for next week all right talk to you then Okay. Mike O'Connor uh, from the Bird Watchers General Store in Cape Cod, and we're back to the uh, uh, mystery bird contest. Uh, let's maybe hear that uh, bird. Here. I'm going to turn the volume down on this, but here's that bird again a little bit. There it is. A medium-sized brown-striped songbird with a pale eyebrow, a thin bill, and white outer feathers on its tail, the tail constantly bobbing up 
and down, part of the clue uh, grouping there for our mystery bird. 781-837-4900. Caroline is on the phone from uh, over here, on right here in the south shore of Massachusetts. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think, Caroline, on the old bird there? Seaside Sparrow. Seaside Sparrow, she says, was confidence, which is great, but... Uh, According to what it says on this uh, paper, it's not a seaside sparrow. But thank you, Caroline. You're welcome. Okay. Please send me more ambassador cards. More ambassador cards. Let's make a note of that. Absolutely, we will. Caroline, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank we you. love your show. Thank you so much, and thank you for that ambassadorship. And Larry is on the south shore of Massachusetts as well. Hello, Larry. How are we doing? Doing well. What do you think, Larry, uh, Mystery Bird Wise? Carolina Wren. Carolina Wren, another confident uh, guess with the thing there. Oh, man. It's not. And before we run out of time, I want to, well, we'll determine our winner here. But in the meantime, uh, we can say that it's an American Pippet. That was our mystery bird, American Pippet. Uh, try us again, Larry. Thank you. All right. We're out of time for this morning's show. A reminder about our Talking Birds flock. It's a wonderful place to meet other Talking Birds listeners. It's our Facebook group. And right now, you can see some wonderful stuff from Etienne Martin, uh, photos of her backyard birds in a close-up video of a sharp-shinned hawk. And Mark Dayton has a flock of lilac-crowned parrots flying out over his house in San Diego. Uh, that's it for our show this morning. Jesse's writing something really quickly there. Uh, what does that say? I, oh, uh, oh, a winner. We'll make uh, Larry our winner, and we'll have some applause here for Larry. There it is. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And by Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And by Broom, where bird feeding meets innovation. Discover truly squirrel-proof bird feeders, all backed by lifetime care commitment. Learn more at brome.com.